Well, hey, good evening. It's awesome to see you guys. Hey, uh, my name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, thanks for being here uh, tonight. Man, tonight is going to be fun. I don't know if you heard, there's winter wonderland that's going to explode all over this place after this. There's snow, there's snowball fights, there's cookie decorating, uh, bounce houses, a couple different food trucks. I mean, it's just like... All we need is, is Rudolph, you know, and we got everything. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun tonight. So I'm glad uh, that many of you are here for that. Hopefully you'll stick around and enjoy that afterward. Um, one thing that I've realized is that, you know, part of our desire to do the fun after four was to try to um, continue to have just a really strong presence here at this four o'clock service. It's been so encouraging how many of you have been coming to this. Um, just so you know, our church is about 300 more people uh, on a regular basis than we were a year ago. I think a lot of that has to do with this service. So that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, but, but here's my encouragement is if you're kind of like um, kicking the tires on this, especially because there's like an event tonight, like I hope you'll like it and, and like stick with it. Uh, especially if you're like a normal attender at nine o'clock or at 1045, if, if it's possible, I, I just would love to you to consider maybe joining us here on a regular basis at four. Um, and uh, we'd love to have you be part of that. Thanks to those of you who serve and uh, make sure as you, as you pick up your kids, you, you thank those folks as well. Uh, almost everybody there in that kids ministry uh, came to church this morning and now they're back to serve and we want to just be able to honor and bless them uh, as well. So um, yeah, so thanks and man, let's have fun tonight. So all right. Um, well, you know, in a family like mine, if, if we haven't met or you don't uh, know my uh, family situation, I'm married to Molly. Uh, we've been married uh, 21 years on Thursday will be our anniversary. And that's, yeah, that's pretty fun. We've got four kids uh, ranging from 16 to six. And as a result, most of the year, it is impossible to pick a movie that everybody wants to watch, right? Like it is really, really tough because, uh, you know, the, the littler ones want some cartoons and the older ones want some different stuff. You know, even you just think about the different things, right? Some people in our family, they really, you know, want it to feel romantic and they hope it ends with a kiss, right? That's why Hallmark movies are kind of fun. Um, you know, but, but Hank wants stuff to blow up. Uh, Molly wants someone to trip and fall and hurt themselves and just laugh hilariously. Um, you know, I kind of want a sentimental thing that's going to remind me of how short life is an important family and you know whatever and so all year it's just so hard to find a movie that everybody likes and then you get to Christmas and you have Home Alone <laughs> and everybody likes Home Alone right there's action and there's sentimentality and it's funny and it's a little drama and 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 you think about some of the other Christmas movies right Elf is this way and uh, family vac or Christmas vacation, right? Like there's these movies that especially they become traditions. It's so fun to have the thing that everybody wants be able to be, be satisfied by one thing. And so the question is, we consider uh, this text here tonight. The question is this, what if, what if in life, what if what we want most and what God wants most could actually become the same thing? What if there's a thing that we want more than anything else? And what if that desire that we have, the thing we want most, actually could coincide with rather than fight against the thing God wants most? That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? And I want to tell you that that's possible. And so we've got to reflect tonight first on, okay, well, what do we want most? What do we want most? There's a lot of things we want. We want money and we want friends and we want family and we want uh, career success and uh, we want to achieve some stuff and we'd like some acclaim and we'd like, uh, you know, to have a level, right? We, we want all that. We want some romance. 
But deeper than all that, there really is just kind of one core thing that we want, and that's to be happy. That's what we want. We want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And a lot of the decisions we do, I just want to be happy. We think about our kids and we say, well, we want them to be healthy, but the reason we want them to be healthy is so that they can be happy, right? Some of you have older kids, some of you have kids that have left the home and, you know, they're doing life a little bit differently than you. They're making decisions the way that you maybe wouldn't be exactly what you'd want. But for the most part, if they're happy, you're happy, right? One person said, you're, uh, as a parent, you're only ever as happy as your unhappiest child, and there's probably some wisdom to that, right? There's this thing that we want, which is we want to be happy. Here's what philosopher and actually mathematician Blaise Pascal, here's what he says about this. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. This is the motive of every action of every man even of those who hang themselves. Think about that last sentence. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Even our self-harm is in a strange, confusing way an attempt to be happy. Now, as soon as you start talking about happiness, especially in a, in a church environment, uh, this Christian subculture thing kicks in where uh, you know, all these people sort of rise out of the bushes and say, wait a minute, I don't care about happiness, I care about joy, right? And we start making this huge distinction between happiness and joy. We try to draw this really bright line between happiness and joy, and they never the twain shall meet, right? That's how a lot of Christians tend to think about it. Um, here's the only problem is actually when you look up both of those words, they're kind of the same thing, All right? Listen to this Webster's definition of happiness. Webster's happiness, state of well-being, contentment, joy. Well, shoot. Okay, so we look up joy. All right, here's the definition of joy. Joy, a state of happiness or felicity. Okay, so joy is happiness, happiness is joy. So most of the time, really these things overlap. And we could use different words. We could talk about gladness. We could talk about delight. We could talk about pleasure. Right, most of the time, especially tonight when I'm talking about this, we're going to just be talking about this big chunk of life that overlaps, right? Like so many different parts of especially the, the stuff, the good stuff of life is like it's in this thing. And, you know, like, I don't know, you have moments where you, you know, you're with your family and you go see Christmas lights and you're enjoying a hot chocolate and you're laughing. It's like, is that happiness or joy? Who cares? It's just awesome, right? Right. And so a lot of life is kind of in that in that middle space. Now, occasionally there are times when we have happiness, but not joy, right? This is times you could call it kind of a shallow satisfaction, right? It's, it's, uh, th there's happiness, but there's not necessarily joy, right? This is, you know, eating cookies, playing video games, both of which I did yesterday. It was amazing, uh, but it was just happy. It wasn't deep joy. It was just, hap just happiness. It was just fine. Um, you know, so, so there's a sense in which like a lot of the kind of more trivial things of life are that way. Sin is also this way, right? Sin, if you're doing it right, should make you happy for a little bit, right? But this is eventually what rings hollow about sin is that it rings hollow right? It's fine for a time. It's fine for a little bit. It, it, it creates some element of pleasure, but it doesn't have a lasting kind of delight to it, right? It's a shallow satisfaction. So for sure that can happen. On the other end, sometimes you have joy without happiness. This is when 
life is falling apart. This is when you're really suffering. This is when you're really going through a trial. This is when things are especially difficult. This is when you do what it says in James 1, where you count it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. This is a, this is, this is a sacred satisfaction. And I think it's because this kind of satisfaction is available to Christians is maybe why Christians like to make that distinction, right? And I think that's actually an important thing to point out is that if your life is built only on the circumstances of this life, it's, if it's built only on what we talked about last week as the finite game, then there is not going to be joy unless you're also always happy. And so anyway, we want to focus on this middle part and really say, you know, what we want most, the movie we most want to see with our life is we want to be happy. Okay, well, what's the thing God wants most? What does God want most? Is it it possible the thing that we want most and the thing that God wants most could become the same thing? Okay, well, what does God want most? Here's what God wants most. God wants most to be glorified. God wants most to be glorified, to be praised, to be exalted, to be lifted high, to be esteemed, to be made much of, to be maybe a word we'd use, magnified. God wants to be Glorified. The word glory in the scriptures especially carries with it the idea of weightiness. God wants to be seen as weighty, right? This is why when the glory of God shows up, almost always when the glory of God hits earth, what happens? The earth trembles. There's an earthquake. Why? Because God's heavier than you. Because God's heavier than this earth, because God's glorious. And when God's glory shows up, it shakes things up. God wants to be glorified. Here's a quote that I love, a picture that I think helps us get at what this really means by John Piper, so helpful. He says this, God's goal at every stage of creation is to magnify his glory. Now you can magnify with a microscope or with a telescope. A microscope magnifies by making tiny things look bigger than they are. A telescope magnifies by making gigantic things like stars, which look tiny, appear more as they really are. God created the universe to magnify his glory the way a telescope magnifies stars. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying the glory of God is not this little teeny tiny thing that we have to get a microscope out in order to finally be able to see it, but actually that the glory of God is huge and expansive and beautiful. And that actually, because we're so far away because of our sin, we, we, we don't recognize it for as big and amazing as it is. And so what God wants is for us to see him as he actually is, to see his weightiness. God wants to be glorified. Well, where does it talk about this in the scriptures? I, I mentioned last week, we're going to be looking next year at one point at the book of Revelation. Uh, Before we go to Easter next year, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 40 through 55. It's this one poem in Hebrew that uh, is going to prepare us for, for Easter. And we'll bump into these verses in that section. In Isaiah 42, it says this, I am the Lord, Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 43, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Why are you here? Why did God make you? Why did God make you and 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 me? For his glory. 
Now, there are lots of other great things that we get to enjoy about the world. There's lots of other things we get to enjoy about God. But fundamentally, our purpose is that we were created for his glory. Isaiah 48 says this, for my name's sake. It's another way of talking about God's honor, God's glory, God's reputation. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. God's saying, I'm patient and I'm gracious with you. Why? For my name's sake. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God's saying, hey, I'm patient with you. I'm not infinitely patient. But everything I'm doing in relation to you, I'm not just doing it because I love you, though I do, but I'm doing it for my namesake, for my glory. Another prophet is the prophet Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel 36, there's this profound new covenant promise, right? Up to this point, the people have been trying to stay connected to God with the law and they fail and they fail and they fail and they fail and something has to change. And so here's what God says in Ezekiel 36. He says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you profaned among them. See, and here's my problem. The, the nations don't know how great I am. And it's your fault. That's what he's saying. He says, but the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. He's saying, listen, I'm about to do something and it is gonna blow your mind and it is gonna be so good for you. It's gonna change your life. It's gonna change your future. It's gonna change your world. But here's what I want you to know. I'm not doing it for you, God says. I'm doing it for me. Well, what is that? Verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. In, in John chapter three, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus is confused. He says, listen, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the spirit, they will not enter the kingdom of God. Do you know what he's talking about? Ezekiel 36, sprinkle clean water on you give you a new spirit and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'm gonna change your heart, you're gonna obey me and I'm gonna be glorified. My name will be vindicated, okay? Some of you are like, well, that's a lot of Old Testament prophets. Is there anything in the New Testament about this? Well, thank you for asking. There is. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. That's what we want. We want to love people. We want to serve people. We want to bless people. And we don't ever want them to go, man, you're something. We want them to go, wow, God's something. Right, a bunch of you, just a few weeks ago, uh, you stopped out in the courtyard and you picked up a, a box of hope. Only at that point, it really wasn't much of a box of hope. It was a box of nothing. Right, it was just an empty box. Right? And you went to Target and you went to Walmart and you went to Amazon and you uh, somehow you brought that back this week. Or if you didn't, 
make plans to bring it back tomorrow because we need them. Like we're handing them out next week. Uh, but you did that and you brought these boxes of hope filled with stuff for, for women and for children that are gonna go to our various local partners and they're gonna hand these things out and it's gonna be a blessing to them. And here's what we want, right? That's a, that's a good work you did. And at no point throughout that chain do we want people to go, wow, Redemption Gateway. But instead we want a little kid to open a box that you prepared that just so happens because of how God is amazing to have everything that they hoped their box would have. And they go, wow, God sees me. Wow, God knows me. Praise God. That's what we want. Because we don't live for ourselves, we live for his glory. When Jesus is praying just before he's gonna go to the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17, here's his prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. What is on Jesus' heart as he's approaching the cross? The glory of God. Apostle Paul picks up this theme in 1 Corinthians 10. There's a lot of debate. Can we eat this? Can we eat that? What are we free to do? What are we not free to do? He says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Yeah, you got a lot of freedom. You got a lot of areas. You do this, do this, do this, but don't do what's best for you. Do what glorifies God. That's what he's saying. We get it, (laughs) right? We want most to be happy. God wants most to be glorified. Hmm, this seems like a problem. Because when you think about, well, what would give God glory, especially when you think about that Ezekiel passage, you go, well, it seems like what would give God glory would be if we obeyed him, if we did what he said. And when you look at this passage in John chapter 15, verses eight through 11, you start to pick up that maybe Jesus has that very same thing in mind. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and open it again or reopen it, get it back out to uh, John chapter 15, beginning in verse 8. Here is Jesus's, uh, this is part of this uh, upper room discourse. This is Jesus teaching on the, the night that he's having the last supper with his disciples. And here's what he says. He says, by this, my father is glorified. Okay. So again, Jesus is into the glory of God. This is what makes God seem like he's a big deal. Here here it is, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, if you read the rest of this chapter and the context of this in verse five in particular, he says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So what is gonna give God glory It's abiding, it's remaining, it's staying close to Jesus. Well, we don't just have to guess that that's what this means because he goes on to say in verse nine, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You're okay, are you seeing the chain? Right, if you wanna glorify God, you need to abide in Jesus. You need to stay connected to Jesus. You need to stay close to Jesus. Okay, how do I abide? Here you go. If... You keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You go, okay, there it is. All right, God wants to be glorified. The way we're glorified is we stay close to Jesus. We stay close to Jesus by keeping his commandments. Great, God gets his glory. But what about my joy? I wanted to be happy. Is it going to make me happy to just do what God wants all the time? 
mean, because there's a lot of times when I want to do this and God says, I got to do that. And that doesn't seem like it's going to feel very good. God says, give that. And I don't want to sacrifice that. God says, go there. And I don't like them. God says, forgive that person. You go, ah, never. So, so, so what do we do, right? Be, be, is something missing? And I want to tell you, yes, yeah, something's missing. Have you ever been around Christians that uh, just are miserable? Be honest. Like, don't point, you know, but <laughs> yeah, you have, right? You've been around some Christians and, and they're faithful, right? They, they're like, as far as you can tell, they're like good, serious Christians, but they are not much fun, right? They have the joy, 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 joy down in their heart. And it's really deep down there, right? And you're like, could we mine some of it out and put some of it on your face um, because you do not seem very happy, right? And it's like, does that give God glory? You know, well, we got plenty of happy people who are just doing whatever the heck they want. That probably doesn't bring him glory either. So what is it? I mentioned that Molly and I are celebrating our anniversary this week, and I just want you to imagine for a moment that uh, for our anniversary, I decide to, uh, you know, head to the store and get some flowers and get some chocolates. And, you know, instead of pulling in the garage like I normally would, imagine that instead I, uh, I park in the driveway and I walk out to the front door and I ring the doorbell and she's not expecting it. She probably thinks it's an Amazon package. And so one of the kids comes and they say, oh, it's, it's daddy, it's daddy. And she's going, what's he doing? And so she comes to the door and imagine I have these flowers flowers and these chocolates and she opens the door and I hand her these flowers and say, honey, happy anniversary. And she says, wow, why, why did you do this? And I say, because it was my duty. <laughs> Ladies, uh, how's, how's that go? Right? I don't think that goes great. Like, have you ever been hit by flowers? I think I would for the first time have like be hit by flowers. Right, because you're like, wait a minute, that's that stinks. No, what, what what a wife wants to hear is because you're amazing and delightful, and I love you so much, and it brings my heart so much happy to, happiness to be able to spend this life together with you. And there's nothing really that I could do to show you how much I love you, but this is just one small thing, and I'm just crazy about you. She's gonna go, come here, big boy. All right, that's what that's what's gonna happen, right? It's a whole different thing. Jonathan Edwards said this, he said, God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. He, God wants us to find joy in him. You go, yeah, okay, but, but Jesus seems to be saying, listen, glorify me by abiding, by keeping the commandments. To which I say, yeah, keep reading. <laughs> Verse 11, these things, what things? All this stuff. Right, these things, these things, what, all this, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. That's amazing. Jesus is saying, here's what I want. I want the Father to be glorified by you abiding and keeping my commandments so that my joy is in you and your joy is full. Because by the way, Jesus' joy is full. I don't know if we've ever stopped to really contemplate the joy, the happiness, the delight of Jesus. 
right? We know from the scriptures that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We know that he understood suffering and he walked and was around many hurting people. But I just have to think that if you knew Jesus, if you saw Jesus, you'd see a little glimmer in his eye. Right, like, like I just imagine Jesus, right? He's, he's out there and he's been teaching all day and there's thousands and thousands of people on this hillside and it's getting late and nobody has any food and the disciples are like, what are we gonna do? And he's like, I don't know, guys, what do you think we should do? And they're like, we have no clue. You're the, you're the one, you know? And he goes, all right. And, and this little boy comes over with some loaves of bread and some fish. And, and I can't imagine that Jesus was like, give me that. No, I, I imagine Jesus got down at his eye level. So what's your name, buddy? Give me some knucks. Dude, what do you got here? You sure you want to give this up? This is a good piece of bread. All right. Hey, watch what I do with this. He breaks it and begins to feed the people. And so much food is going out that by the end, these disciples who are going, we could never do anything about this. Instead, Jesus is handing them baskets going, Peter, here you go, take this basket. Thomas, take this basket. Bartholomew, take this basket. Judas, take this basket, give it back. Uh, Luke, Matthew, get, take this basket. Right, and they go and they take all these baskets and they collect all the extra pieces. And I guess you gotta think they're bringing all these extra pieces going, what in the world? And he's not going, see, He's going, <laughs> you have little faith? Yeah, right? Like there's gotta be a delight in Jesus. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, I, I want you to have that. I want my joy to be in you. I want your joy to be full. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to have full capacity joy? Now, here's what's amazing is, is I hope over time that my capacity for joy actually grows. Right, this is like, this is like a balloon, right? J Jesus can blow up the balloon filled with joy, but he can keep blowing and the balloon gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the life with Jesus that glorifies God, the place where what we want and what God wants meets is when we take joy in abiding in and obeying in and being with Jesus. John Piper says it, this sentence has changed my life. He says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified. God gets the most credit, the most praise. God is seen to be as awesome as he really is the most when we are most satisfied in him. When we say, yes, he's enough. Yes, he's my treasure. Yes, he's all I need. That most glorifies him. One of the resources we use around here is the New City Catechism. If you're a parent trying to teach your kids the things of God, or if you're uh, an adult trying to learn the things of God, you might consider the New City Catechism. It's a Q&A format to help you understand key doctrines of the faith. And one of the questions is this, question number six in the Catechism says, how can we glorify God? Answer, we glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, commands, and law. Now get this, if you just are filled with delight and good feelings about God, but you're doing whatever the heck you want and not obeying him, you're not gonna have full joy and you're definitely not gonna glorify God. But actually, if you are committed to him and you're walking with him and you're focused on finding your joy in him, then here's what'll happen, is actually you'll go from just trying to like be a good person 
and follow the rules and do all the command stuff to actually saying, I'm going to obey because I get more of God. I enjoy the Lord more. I enjoy him and his presence even more. All right, so there's three implications of this that I want to reflect on as we, uh, as we conclude together. The first is this, is if this is true, that God is most glorified in us and we're most satisfied in him, we must repent of trying to find our joy in lesser things. There's a lot of ways to describe sin, right? Sin is missing the mark. Sin is breaking the rules. Sin is breaking God's heart. Sin is uh, doing what you know you shouldn't. Uh, sin is not doing what you know you should. But in Romans 1, the description of sin is it's an exchange. It's exchanging the truth about God for a lie. It's worshiping and serving the created things rather than the creator who's blessed forever. In the words of Jeremiah 2, he says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've dug out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He says, here's the double evil of my people. I'm a living water fountain. I don't run dry. I don't stop. Here you go. More, more, more. You needy? Yeah. Here's more. You weak? Yeah. You thirsty? Yeah. You helpless? Yeah. Here's more. I'm not running out. And, and, and the prophet says, and you don't want that. Instead, you'd rather dig a hole and collect some dingy rainwater and try to be satisfied with that. It's not just evil, it's stupid. C.S. Lewis picks up this very theme, one of his famous quotes. He says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Yeah, some of you are gonna go, well, that's the whole problem. The whole problem is we're trying to pursue too much pleasure. No, it's not. Here's what Lewis says. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition and Netflix and YouTube and football. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we're far too easily pleased. Now, here's what's really hard. Here's where we got to like put on some discernment, some prayerfulness. Is there's a Part of what the scripture says is that every good and perfect gift comes from above, which means Netflix isn't inherently bad. Football's not inherently bad. All these created things, many, many, most created things are not inherently bad. But when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, when a good thing becomes the thing that you're now digging out to find your satisfaction in instead of Jesus, that, that the Bible word for that is it's an idol. And you have to repent. You have to turn. You have to say, Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to go that path. I, I don't want to keep digging out this mud pie in a slum. I want the living water. I want the holiday at the sea. We've got to repent of finding our joy in lesser things. Here's the second implication is we must prioritize habits that fill us with joy in Jesus. We must prioritize habits that fill us with joy in Jesus. Uh, this, uh, this Christmas, um, I don't know if we've explained this yet from the front, so... Here's an explanation. We're going to do four Christmas Eve services. We're going all in on Christmas Eve. Uh, Christmas Eve's a Saturday. Sunday, the 25th, well, we're not meeting for church. 
Um, instead, we're recording a uh, little online service. We all got used to that a few years ago, and that'll be on demand on YouTube. You can watch it Christmas morning if you want or wait a few days, whatever the case may be. Um, but that's how we're going to do it. If it's like, well, that's a problem. Uh, we should be meeting on Sunday. Um, I just want you to know that we're meeting four times on Saturday. And technically, uh, that is Sunday Jerusalem time. <laughs> so we're good. All right. Uh, we're covering that. Um, anyway, so uh, just so you know that. Um, well, last year we did a similar thing. We didn't, we didn't uh, meet that Sunday right after Christmas Eve. And so I recorded a sermon kind of like, like I'm doing. And uh, in both cases, last year and this year, there are going to be different messages, but they're both messages around kind of like how to prepare for the new year. And last year, one of the questions I asked to say, how are you going to prepare for this year was this, how are you going to connect with God in 2022? What's your plan for connecting with God in 2022? Well, I recorded that message a few weeks before it was going to you know, go live on YouTube. And uh, over the weeks in between when I recorded it and when it published, I just sort of felt the Lord kind of tapping me on the shoulder going, um, yeah, Luke, uh, I was wondering, what is your plan for connecting with me this year? Because it's felt a little sporadic. And uh, I'd like kind of a more regular thing. Well, Lord, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'll get around to that, you know. A week or so later. Um, uh, Luke, I wasn't kidding. And that, that conviction really led me into a year of going, okay, I need to be consistent in my time with the Lord. And I, here's what I want to tell you is, is this year has been the best year of connecting with the Lord that I can remember in my adult life. And uh, I don't think there's anything particularly special about it. And there's, it, there's nothing rigid about what I do. If you, if you want details on it, I suppose I could tell you it's not that impressive. But, but what it's become is consistent. And here's what I found is, is it started with like, hey, this is good that I'm doing this. And now it's like, I can't imagine not doing this. Like, I'm too weak. I'm too busy. I'm too busy not to have time with the Lord. And I'm too desperate. I, I, I need him. And, and you need him. We need him. All right, we got to prioritize these habits. And I'm not holding myself up as some example. I'm just saying I've, I grew a little bit this last year. And it's, and it's way better. See, there's a principle at play here that you could call the more, the more, and the less, the less. The more, the more, the less, the less. The more you are committed to glorifying God, the more you want to abide in him. And the more you abide in him, the more you want to obey him. And the more you obey him, the more you feel joy in obeying him. And the more you feel joy in obeying him, the more you want to glorify him. And the more you glorify him, the more temptation is just not that appealing anymore. And, and you go, yeah, I want to, I want to pursue the right thing. And, and the more, the more, the more, the more. On the other hand, the less, the less, the less, the less. The less of a priority it is, the less time you spend with the Lord. The less time you spend with the Lord, the less confident you feel in prayer. The less confident you feel in prayer, the less time you, the less ability you have to be able to resist temptation. The less ability you have to resist temptation, the less you're gonna honor what you know God wants you to do. The less you honor what God wants you to do, the less you're gonna, right, and on and on and on. And so get this, here's what I wanna say to us, friends. This is not about checking a box or doing some of the rules. This is about life. 
having the joy and the pleasure and the delight and the gladness of Jesus coursing through you, giving you strength, making it where many times your joy and your happiness are the same thing, but actually beginning to open up to you the possibility of that sacred satisfaction when it's not going well, when the suffering is real, when things do feel dark, and yet you can still say, when all around my soul gives way, he still is all my hope and stay. I love what George Mueller said about this. By the way, look at this picture of George Mueller. That guy looked happy. I mean, I want, I want to be, I want that guy. That's awesome. He's, here's what he said. He said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. That the most important thing I had to do was give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation on it. The more, the more. The more, the more. All right, third implication is this. We must praise Jesus like he's our treasure. The first two are more individual. The first two are kind of your homework to go do some reflection on what are some areas that you've been trying to find joy that you need to repent of and what are some habits that actually fill you with joy in Jesus that you need to cultivate. This third one is, is more collective. Here's what I have in mind here is that if Jesus is our treasure, we need to praise like that's true when we get together. This is one of my prayers for our church over this next year is that the spiritual temperature would rise and that it would be, that this would be a kind of furnace of God's glory and of our joy. That's what I long for when we get together. Listen, we have people every week who come in here and, and maybe this is you and, and they're not sure that this thing's real. And here's what I'd love. I'd love them to walk out and go, I'm still not sure it's real. But man, all those people thought it was real. Because I actually think that's the path to having people go, man, this is really real. Is, is we're, we're just inundated with a world that is numb. We're so committed to pleasure that we're just numbed out on all these things that kind of half-baked give us pleasure. And I want to go, what if we dialed it up? Right, and I know a lot of this is personality and a lot of this is background. Some of you are in the amen chorus and some of you are, you know, hooting and hollering. Some of you, if you could, you'd bring a flag and a tambourine with you. Uh, please don't, Danny. Um, and uh, you can bring a tambourine, but the flag flags get weird. Um, right, that's some of you, right? Some of you, like... When you get fired up, it's like, indeed, right? Like, here's what I just want to say. If Jesus is our treasure, then whatever like level 10 is for you, let's go there. Let's do that. Look at what it says in Matthew 13. Someone asked recently, what's your favorite verse? This is my favorite verse in the Bible, at least right now. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Listen, the, the Christian life's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost sacrifice. It's gonna cost time. It's gonna cost money. It's gonna cost effort. It's gonna cost reputation. It's gonna take courage. It's gonna take guts. It's gonna take endurance. It's gonna cost you. But look at what it says. In his joy. He sells everything he has and buys the field. Why? Because Jesus is the treasure and he's worth it. And so, man, I just want to say he's worth it. And so many of us, we believe he's worth it. 
And so when we get together, let's act like he's worth it. Not for each other and not even mostly for those guests, but for him. To tell him, Lord, you're worth it. Lord, I'm giving you everything. He's our joy. Let's pray. Lord, what a gift to be able to gather together. What a gift to be your people. What a gift to be those who've been sprinkled by clean water, who've been given new hearts and new spirits. And Lord, we want to be those who abide in you, who keep your commands and who experience your joy. Lord, where there's mud pies and slums, would you help us repent? Where there's inconsistent habits that are actually robbing us of the pleasure we so earnestly need, would you give us grace? And Lord, as we praise and as we respond and as we sing and as we delight together, would you be high and lifted up? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.